Good morning, everyone. Welcome to your D1T in 5 for the morning of Friday, April 2nd, 2021. I'm Connor Newcomb, and let's get right into the biggest stories. Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger reports the D1 Council met virtually yesterday to hash out details on changing rules to allow for immediate transfers and that the group will reconvene April 15th to approve the measure. Quote, the new transfer legislation would go into effect immediately after it is approved by the NCAA Board of Governors, a meeting that could come soon after the D1 Council's decision. Though the new legislation would come with required notification dates for student-athletes, the council may make this year's dates more flexible, given the timing of the decision and lingering impact of COVID-19. NCAA President Mark Emmert said about the matter, quote, Students ought to have that ability to transfer once during their career, and I understand the complexity that creates for coaches and roster management, but I think it is overdue we provide that flexibility. The San Jose Mercury News' John Wilner continues to dish on the Pac-12 commissioner search and indicates that Big 12 commissioner and former Stanford AD Bob Bowlesby will not be involved, but does point out four names who are part of early consideration. Former Fox Sports president Randy Freer, WCC commissioner Gloria Navarez, Nebraska AD Bill Moose, and former NCAA executive vice president and West Virginia AD Oliver Luck. From sources, quote, they're floating a lot of names to get reaction from the presidents. Turnkey is talking to a lot of people, and the advice they're getting is emphasizing a lot of different things. I'm not sure they're going to find anyone who satisfies everyone. It's only going to happen quickly if they give up on the idea of the perfect person. America East Commissioner Amy Huchthausen pens a guest column for Sportico's John Wall Street titled, quote, NCAA's weighty gender inequities hurt college sports bottom line. In part, she writes, quote, while obvious disparities like weight rooms are easily resolved, there are more fundamental concerns. Historically, discussions around the women's basketball tournament have been about controlling expenses. We've heard this narrative before. The women's basketball tournament does not generate profit. It loses so much money. Those facts are not necessarily in dispute. But does that justify a men's tournament whose spending seems largely unchecked, thereby making equity between the two events more difficult to achieve? Further, it should be acceptable for a nonprofit organization that consists of colleges and universities who are bound by Title IX to simply say that men's basketball makes all the money to justify inequity. That's certainly not an acceptable answer for our schools, that football or men's basketball make the most so everyone else just has to deal with it, and it should not be an acceptable answer for the NCAA. Huchthausen also points out that the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament broadcast rights are bundled with 20-plus other NCAA championships in a 14-year deal with ESPN, giving little chance for the women's tournament to maximize revenue like the men's. She writes, quote, It's time to unlock the sponsorship constraints on the NCAA Corporate Championship and Sponsor Program to expand the funnel. Doing so would attract new sponsors for women's basketball and all other sports that are similarly constrained. The Washington Post's Ben Strauss and Molly Hensley-Clancy report on TV and sponsorship revenue for women's sports are expected to soon eclipse $1 billion globally, and Octagon Senior Vice President Dan Cohen notes, quote, The stakeholders on the commercial side of sports are constantly searching for the next frontier, the next growth play. It is clearly women's sports. Strauss and Hensley Clancy go on to cite two individuals who have worked on the NCAA championships rights deal with ESPN as indicating the women's basketball tournament brings in around $12 million annually, despite assertions from the NCAA that it brings in just $5.7 million. They add, quote, Between 2016 and 2019, the women's championship game averaged nearly 4 million viewers, nearly double that of the baseball and softball series, the next most viewed championships in the package. As a standalone event on the open market, analysts and executives speculated the tournament could fetch as much as $20 million a year. 
The Athletics' Richard Deitch argues it's time to put the women's basketball tournament title game on ABC, with ESPN Executive Vice President for Programming and Original Content Burke Magnus commenting, quote, This year we increased our distribution, with every game for the first time televised nationally and with the addition of six ABC windows. Schedules are clearly set for this year, but we would not rule out the possibility of a simulcast in the future. Deitch writes, quote, If the NCAA wants to start improving things, this is an easy one. Tell your television partner you want this and you'll make it work for them. The reality is the women's title game has already proven itself as a significant viewership play. And Florida AD Scott Strickland compared NIL to cost of attendance during an interview with WRUF yesterday, saying, quote, Everybody thought it was going to shake the foundations. One school may give more than the other, but it really hasn't been the case. I have yet to find a recruit that chose a school based on the cost of attendance figure. So name, image, and likeness may be big, but it may not be as big as we all think it will be. That's your D1T in 5 for the morning of Friday, April 2nd. I'm Connor Newcomb, reminding you to join us back here this evening.